0: Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I'm your standing at the ghostly gates, Gary, here to entertain you with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hey, Gary! <laughs> well, I thought I wanted to start with our humor of the week, Goldie Ann, so where do ghosts... Okay, wait, question. Humor? Yes, I am a very, very funny individual. Okay, Go. You're married to me, you have to agree. Okay, you are, very funny.
1: Thank you. Very good looking, too.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm good looking for a podcast. I thought you were gonna cut that part out. I totally am. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, before I was rudely interrupted, Goldie Ann, where do ghosts buy their food? Being ghosts, I should know this. Um, at the ghostry store?
1: I won for once, I
0: won! No. Goldian, they buy their groceries at a ghost store.
1: Okay, it was better when I said it. (laughs) I
0: won. Whatever.
1: Yay!
0: I'm gonna take my podcast and go home. See, I told you ghosts, I should know that one. Very well done. Anyways, um, starting with our banter. I want to let everyone know that we are getting ready for the upcoming Southwest Florida Skunk Ape conference, which is being held on Saturday, June 4th from 9 a.m. to 6:30 p.m. This is organized as an old-fashioned town hall meeting featuring Florida Skunk Ape and Bigfoot researchers, writers and media celebrities. It's going to be cool. It's going it's to see our awesome. friends again. I know. I mean, amongst the special guest speakers is going to be Dave Shealy owner of the Skunk Ape Museum in Central Florida with his 50 years of experience on Florida Skunk Apes. He was also a recent guest on our podcast. Also present will be television stars Stacy Brown Jr. and RPG from Finding Bigfoot and Expedition Bigfoot.
1: RPG! RPG! Oh, sorry. I,
0: I thought know. we were supposed to chant. Where did you get that? I don't know. Don't uh, ghost chant and stuff? We're not ghosts. Oh, shit.
1: Also Connor, my Saturday F- night. <laughs>
0: yeah. well, also, Connor Flynn and Marie Dumont will also be speaking with many others. This is a great opportunity to people with an interest in the skunk ape and Bigfoot to speak with experts in the field. Tickets are still on sale but selling out quickly. Please check out the show notes for a link for more information and the ability to purchase your tickets to get. Please check out the show notes for a link for more information and the ability to purchase your tickets today. We already have ours, and we look forward to seeing you guys there. Absolutely. Now, uh, as a disclaimer, today's episode contains stories about murder, yes. body desecration, awesome. and ghosts, so please be forewarned. My favorite. Yes, and why I'm sitting over here frightened. <laughs> We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose, well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, if you are ready, let's take a walk within the mist. Located on the shores of St. Augustine, Florida is a Spanish fortress which has survived centuries of bloodshed and violence so much so that it may have become a focal point to attracting paranormal activity yes and groupies like my wife <laughs> We've today been there. today we will talk about the multiple spirits that roam the walls and the grounds of the Castillo de San Marcos <clears throat> so as you were saying we have been there yes we have and we do need to make a trip back there, especially since when we went, we really weren't doing a podcast at that time, so.
1: No, see, we were on our anniversary, and being that we got married on Halloween, he lets me pick haunted locations, because that's my thing, and he just kind of follows me around. So that was our first, was haunted St.
0: Augustine. Yes, and so, well, St. Augustine does have the reputation of being the most haunted city in America, because of its long time existence. Yes, we even got to stay in a haunted bed and breakfast. Exactly. In in fact, uh, St. Augustine and the Castilla de San Marcos has a very long history. It was founded in 1565 by Spain and is the oldest continuously occupied settlement in the United States. This occurred 42 years before the English colonized Jamestown, Virginia, and 55 years before the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. Nice. So St. Augustine is a very old city. On September 8th of 1950... 1956. On September 8th of 1556, Don Pedro the Mende- on September 8th of 1556, Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles set foot on the shores of Florida amongst the cheers of 600 voyagers. He had been instructed to create a military establishment in order to prevent the French from invading on Spanish interests in the New World. Founded in 1565. No, I hit the wrong arrow. I'm like, wait a second. <clears throat> In honor of the saint, whose feast day fell on the day that he first sighted the land, Menendez named the settlement St. Augustine. Once on land, he proceeded to immediately fulfill the directives of his king. Militarily, he was able to remove the French garrison and create Spanish control of the northeast coast of Florida. As a military colony over the next century, St. Augustine had to fend off English pirates, um, they had to fight off the English sailing ships when England established their colonies in the Carolinas and Georgia. There was also clashes between the city and hostile American Indian tribes. During the first century of occupation in St. Augustine, the Spanish were victims of numerous enemy attacks. That is, the Spanish were victims of numerous enemy attacks that destroyed the original wooden fortifications. This, oh. It seems the Spanish had constructed a series of wooden fortifications until the English privateer, Sir Francis Drake, seized St. Augustine in 1586. An English sailor who accompanied Drake on this expedition against Spain described St. Augustine as a city built all of timber. So <clears throat> it, didn't really, it wasn't really able to defend itself at that time. Right. So, following Drake's attack, and a later raid in 1668 by the pirate John Davis, the Spanish governor of the Florida colony wrote to officials in Spain and Mexico requesting funds to build a more permanent defense system. The Spanish, plan- the Spanish crown approved plans to build a stone fortress, and in 1676, the construction of the Castilla de San Marcos began. Stop. You said 1676. Oh. The Spanish crown approved plans to build a stone fortress, and in 1672, construction of the Castilla de San Marcos began. It was completed just in time to fend off an attack by the British forces from the Carolinas in 1702. And that's when the... And that is when our story begins with the Castilla. During all that time the Castillo de San Marcos has never been captured in battle and remains the oldest surviving masonry fortress in the United States. Throughout all of that time, there would be traumatic events that shaped the grounds and invited the paranormal.
1: It was pretty awesome when we were there. I mean, I've never been completely surrounded by stone. You know, cold, damp stone. You know, seeing where the people slept and even prayed, it was pretty
0: pretty interesting exactly the walls that are there now are the same walls that were there that far ago so you can actually feel the the ghosts yeah. uh, that walked amongst them <clears throat> in their earlier times but we are going to focus on the paranormal events Ooh. chapter two the headless chief Seminole leader Asiola constantly evaded capture by the United States military during the Second Seminole War. He was a cunning chief, and it was not until he had been tricked and taken prisoner under the pretense of a false truce under a white flag. Dang. Under his, upon his capture, he was taken to the Castilla de San Marcos and was held prisoner alongside 200 other Seminole tribes. I just don't know how I feel about that <laughs> I know trust me the history of the Castillo de San Marcos is pretty dark to begin with yeah and that's probably why we talk about ghosts there right these prisoners were forced to survive under the harshest of conditions the cells in that portion of the Castillo were damp dark and musty true story during his containment Osceola's spirit was broken and he became very sick doctor Frederick Whedon, the local doctor, was brought in to treat the Indian chief. He was diagnosed with malaria, and the doctor was so impressed with the man's courage, willpower, and his intelligence that doctor Frederick Whedon, the local doctor, was brought in to treat him, and he was diagnosed with malaria. During his time, the doctor was impressed with the man's courage, willpower, and his intelligence, even under the distress of being imprisoned. The two formed a friendship. He was a chief. Chief, stay strong. Very much so.
1: Very much so. This
0: Seminole leader had to be transferred to another location, Fort Moultrie, located in South Carolina there he was treated as somewhat of a sideshow attraction with townspeople flocking to the prison in order to catch a glimpse of the mythical tribal leader even local painters convinced him to even local painters convinced the even local painters convinced the chief to let them paint him however his illness prevailed and he died from it three months after his capture from a condition called Quincy, which is an infection in the back of the throat. So to me, that sounds like tonsillitis. And it was enough to kill the seminal leader. Yeah, they didn't give him any medication. Well, they did try to treat him. In fact, Dr. Whedon made frequent trips from St. Augustine to the Carolinas in order to visit his friend. Oh, True. He felt a need to travel to Fort Moultrie in order to attend the funeral and pay his final respects. So, literally, this dude's only friend. Well, not this dude. Chief Osceola's only friend. You would think that. However, while there, the doctor made the decision that he wanted to preserve Osceola's head for future posterity via mummification. Okay. So, this is where the story takes a really dark and <laughs> twisted turn. I just talked to him about his best friend. Yeah. Wow. Well, this best friend, while alone with the body of the man he considered a friend, he severed the head, utilizing a scalpel. Ah. But he had to leave the body in the coffin. Due to fears of being discovered, he wrapped a scarf that Osceola typically wore carefully around the warrior's neck in order to hide the deed. Okay. When the funeral ceremony ended at the gravesite, Whedon made sure that nobody was looking and he realized that this would be his last chance. He quickly reached into the coffin and scooped up the head to place it into a bag without anyone noticing the deed. Okay. He closed the lid and gave his final goodbyes to the Seminole leader. The head lying in a bag on his lap the headless body was lowered into the ground and the doctor returned to St. Augustine with his morbid prize and nobody the wiser. Hmm. Once Dr. Whedon had returned to St. Augustine he worked diligently to mummify the head. He also made a death mask which is a cast impression from the corpse. According to some of the folklore, he would place the mummified head on the bedpost of his children when they misbehaved. Okay, this guy's a weirdo. Yeah, he would leave it there to glare at them while they slept. Basically, really enforcing the fear product of keeping his kids in line. Okay, so I've done
1: a few bad things to my kids for, you know, you know scary movies and stuff like that, but man.
0: Yeah, this is, takes it to a whole new level. Now the remainder of the time, when it wasn't on the bed scaring his children, the head was placed in a large jar with alcohol and displayed in the town drugstore. Wow. Unfortunately, at this time, Native American body parts, especially the heads, were considered valuable trophies. People would go to great lengths to obtain them, even if it meant desecrating the human being. The same type of people who flocked to see the man while he was a prisoner in jail. Would also travel to the drugstore to see the preserved head. Man. <laughs> so, this, this is horrible. Brave, yeah, this brave tribal leader is now a sideshow attraction in a drugstore jar. Someone's getting haunted. Wow. Well, the head would eventually pass from Dr. Whedon to his son in law and then onto a physician in New York. The physician decided to donate Osceola's bodiless head to an exhibit at the Surgical and Pathological Museum of New York. While there, the museum was destroyed by a fire in 1866. hmm It was never officially verified, but it was believed that Osceola's head was destroyed with the museum.
1: Well, I mean, if it was sitting in
0: alcohol, probably... Or may have been stolen before that time. And set on fire. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Exactly. <laughs> but whatever the case, that did not stop the Seminole leader, as many believe that the chief still haunts the grounds of the Castillo de San Marcos. This is due to the anguish of the desecration that occurred to his body. There have been unexplained shadows walking within the fort, those shadows without a head. Ooh. Areas that had previously imprisoned him and his men include unexpected drops in temperature and people hearing disembodied voices expecting to continue. Areas that had previously imprisoned him include unexpected drops in temperature, people hearing disembodied voices, and this is expected to continue until the lost head can be reunited with his body. Uh Uh-oh that could be a problem that could be a very big problem so yes the the history of the Castillo has a very dark history and Mm -hmm. a lot of tales that are connected to it but it's also been a place of lost love chapter 3 the chained lovers The chief's headless phantom is not alone within the walls of the Castillo de San Marcos, for a grisly discovery in 1838 discovered another ghost story for the military fortress. Sergeant Tuttle and his men had been relocating a large cannon on the gun deck of the fort. I've been there. Yes, you have. (laughs) What a shock. Now while they were moving it the flooring inexplicably crumbled beneath the heavy cannon and crashed to the f- level below. As the soldiers made their way downwards they discovered that the huge artillery piece had damaged the wall and exposed a As they made their way down as the soldiers made their way downwards they discovered that the huge artillery piece had exposed a wall to a secret room. They began removing pieces of the wall with hopes of discovering lost treasure. Mm. What they did find was a room that was very small with a low ceiling marking it as an old gunpowder storage. Also, there were bones amongst the debris and leftover gunpowder. The skeletal remains of two individuals had been chained to the wall and whatever doorway there was to the room was bricked over. The first beliefs were that the room was used for torture during the days of the gruesome Spanish Inquisition. But it did not take long before everyone realized that what they had found was the lost remains. It did not take long before everyone realized that what they had found was the lost remains of Dolores Marty and Captain Manuel Abela. So, who are these two? Mm -hmm. Well, in 1784, Colonel Garcia Marti and his young wife Dolores had moved from Spain to St. Augustine to begin a new life within the Castillo. The colonel was assigned an assistant named Captain Manuel Abela. Uh Uh-oh. Let's see where this is going. Exactly. (laughs) Because Colonel Garcia was too occupied with running the fort and its soldiers. It caused him to neglect his wife, who grew bored with military life. She was used to parties and elegance and royalty of Spain, and the New World pretty much was a very vast difference. So what did Dolores do? She turned to the handsome and charming Manuel, initiating a love affair. Ooh, bad girl, bad girl. Now this would go on for many months and Colonel Garcia may have been a cold man but he was very sharp. He realized that his wife was cheating on him but he was unable to determine with who as the two lovers were very careful not to be discovered. One day, Captain Abella reported for his daily meeting with his commanding officer. He was shaking. The Colonel was shaking Manuel's hand when he took a deep breath. His eyes narrowed at his assistant when he recognized his wife's perfume. It was then that he realized that it was Manuel who was having the affair with his wife. On the next day, both Captain Abella and Dolores were missing. People began to ask questions and the Colonel claimed that his wife had taken ill though she had never shown any signs of being sick. He reported that she was returning to Spain in order to live with her aunt, home to recover. (laughs) Now, regarding the location of Captain Abella, the colonel claimed that his assistant had been sent on a special assignment to Cuba. Mm -hmm. The men of the fort were confused as they felt that the captain would never have left without saying farewell to his fellow soldiers. The colonel was never questioned any farther regarding the two. Although there were whispers and rumors, the case of their disappearance was never solved during Colonel Marty's lifetime. Now, almost a century later, the remains were found locked away in that tiny dark room. The truce was exposed. Colonel Marty had kidnapped the couple and locked them away within the walls. The two were left to starve to death behind the walls of the Castillo de San Marcos. People can still smell the sweet flowery perfume, and they can feel as though they are being watched as they are touring the Castillo. Once you smell the strong perfume, the hairs on the back of your neck will stand up, leaving you with chills of having encountered their restless spirit. There have even been reports of a female ghost or an apparition that has been seen walking along the walls of the Castillo, as the forlorn spirit of Dolores Marty may still be haunting within the walls, looking for her lost captain. Aww. Serves a right. Sorry. <laughs> so no pity for the two? No. And the colonel didn't overreact by... Locking them up in a room, chaining them to a wall, and letting them starve to death. Sign of the times. Sorry. I'm not saying anything. I'm just glad that uh, I'm I'm better behaved. Good boy. Thank you. <laughs> so now we have uh, multiple stories that involve uh, terrible activities. There are other ghosts that do roam the Castillo. They are known as Chapter 4 The Shadow Guard. Now unfortunately not all shadows can be explained. There have been folklore connected to the Castillo that involve an unidentified ghostly figure who haunts the fort. It is said that he can be seen while on the top portion of the fort's wall. If you look down there is a shadow figure that walks across the drawbridge below. The shadow is of an average-sized man, but a brisk walker. In one instance, observers waited for the shadow to pass along the drawbridge and into the fort so they could continue to take photos, believing it to be another tourist. (laughs) The clearly visible form moved quickly towards, but failed to pass within the castillo. Looking back to the drawbridge, the observers realized that there was no one there the shadowy apparition had vanished completely. Cool. Now, this restless spirit may have been a deceased soldier still performing his duty of patrolling the grounds of the fort's drawbridge to make sure that enemies do not pass. This ghost seems to be doomed to eternal vigilance without anyone ever knowing his name or why he is compelled to remain on the grounds rather than pass on. Hmm the guard's presence isn't the only ghost of the Spanish guard seen patrolling the grounds. There have been many conflicts that the fortress have experienced over the there have been many conflicts that the fortress has experienced over the centuries which have left their marks in blood and pain. Even the ghost's even a ghost of a seminal warrior who had been a prisoner there was reported leaping to his freedom from the high fortress walls in order to escape his prison. The grounds will always be an eternal battleground for the paranormal. There is no method to determine just how many bodies are buried on the grounds. Ooh, that's true. There are lights that continue to be seen shining in the watchtowers on stormy nights as florida has a long history of suffering with hurricanes the fortress was expected to provide warnings and protection against some of the deadliest storms to strike the florida coast so are there still ghosts guarding against hurricanes and trying to warn the city of of danger
1: um that seems weird in what way well i mean to warn against hurricanes
0: Well, that was part of the city's, uh, I mean, part of the Castillo's responsibility is to protect the regular city of St. Augustine. This was against pirates, this was against other English military, and it was to protect them against the storms. Oh, okay. Okay. So it seems that there are still guards, there are still protectors there in the Castillo still performing that duty to this day. Cool. Chapter 5, The History of Blood and Violence. Now when you look at the entire length of dark history that the Castillo has endured, the fact that its paranormality isn't surprising. The Castillo started in 1702, and at that time the English colonial forces led by James Moore besieged the fort. This resulted in 1,500 town residents and soldiers being cramped into the small Castillo during a two-month siege. Dang correct. So you have all these people without adequate space, food, or sanitation. The conditions resulted in many deaths, leaving a psychic scar on the fort. In 1740, British forces repeated their attack on the fort for three months. This time, they starved the 300 soldiers and 1,300 residents, causing hundreds of people to lose their causing hundreds of people to lose their lives during the surprise siege. Twice as many of the people died of cholera and starvation within the walls. Hmm. So we're not talking about a few people here and there. We're talking hundreds of people have died under horrible conditions. And that 1300
1: was the uh, soldiers' families. Right. It was whoever was in
0: the cities. Oh, okay. When an attack came, all the people left St. Augustine and came to be inside uh-huh, okay. the walls of the Castillo, just like they did during medieval times. Right. And the Castillo was able to protect them, but the people were trapped there without food, without medicine, without proper sanitation, and they were there for three months, yeah. basically slowing, dying, slowly scared, you know, trapped. Dang. And the Castillo had to hold all that in, and might still be holding it in. The Castillo had been nicknamed by the United States as the Swamp Fox for almost 10 years because it had to repeatedly fight off roaming bands of pirates. Swamp Fox. That was the name of the Castillo at one point. Huh. They called it the Swamp Fox just because... So it was it a foxhole? Kept it it kind of was, against pirates. Now, we already mentioned how the fort was used as a prison for Native Americans. These prisoners were held in horrible conditions, and many died within San Marcos. Among these captives were Chief Whitehorse Greybeard, and Howling Chief Howling Wolf. Ooh. Approximately 491 Apache were held prisoner there, no. with more than a third of the men perishing without any justice.
1: Wow. That's horrible.
0: The place has been housing a lot of misery. Due to the construction of the fort with what's called coquina, a substance of crushed shells, due to the construction of the fort with a substance called coquina, made of crushed shells, cannonballs that are fired into the walls of the fortress were unable to destroy the walls. Instead, they would rather... Instead, they would rather become trapped within the walls. Yeah, we saw some of those. Exactly. So this violence, this attack, this war would basically hit the walls and stay there. Right. So the Castillo felt it forever. Right. Therefore, even the walls of the Castillo hold to the violence of wars through centuries. It actually does feel like a cold and miserable place. It has a negative feeling. So if you tally up all the pain, the bloodshed. <clears throat> so if you tally up all the pain and the bloodshed, the Castillo de San Marcos has had dozens of wars under five different flags. It's faced untold hurricanes and uncountable pirate raids. There has been the bloodshed of military and civilians, horrible prison conditions, and is the location of some terrifying ghost stories. Putting all of that together, there's no surprise that this is a... Paranormal hotspot. Very much. And we'll continue that way within the walls of the Castilla San Marcos. You're making me want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I knew my describing how terrifying the place could be would attract you to go back. Oh, yeah. Now, I did try to find some movies, like I always do for our episodes but there isn't any ghost story movies that involve the Castillo, though I really think there should be.
1: I did find that, although not a ghost story, Netflix
0: produced a film entitled Montford, The Chickasaw Rancher. This is based on a true story involving a Native American in Oklahoma who becomes a rancher in the late 1800s. He travels to St. Augustine where he discovers many Native Americans from Oklahoma imprisoned in the fort. Now, I mention this not because it is a ghost story, but because it recreates the horrible conditions that the prisoners lived in. Mm. This will give you an idea of how these events could shape the ghost stories of today.
1: Yeah, wanted to watch that.
0: Exactly. But if you really want to experience the... If you really want to experience the atmosphere and the haunting paranormality of the Castilla de San Juan, the best way to do that is to visit it in person. Yeah, they have. You can feel it. They have amazing tour guides who will give you the full history of the facility. You can roam around to explore so much that has existed since you know hundreds of years. Right. And then once you get that feeling, you can ask yourself, are the ghosts of soldiers still holding their vigil on the walls of the castillo? Is the Seminole chief, Osceola, still searching for his stolen head from within a jar of alcohol? And can murdered lovers who are bricked away within a small room of the castillo find, them, find each other again? And can murdered lovers who are bricked away within a small room of the castillo find each other and leave a perfume scent behind cool I don't know I don't remember these ghost stories while
1: I was there so think we need to go back
0: I am completely (laughs) up for that
1: (laughs) just saying it's two hours away let's go
0: (laughs) (laughs) well being sure to keep a very close eye on the next time we visit the Castilla de San Marcos see I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. I'd like to give special thanks to David Fasilian and Fasilian Studios for our introduction music. We would like to really ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this on. It helps promote our show. We're trying to attract more listeners as this is becoming more and more of a full-time position for us.
1: Now let us know you're out there. Let us know what you want to hear because we're here to... You know, so entertain for, you. Yeah, we are definitely here for you.
0: Speaking of that, we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with ghosts of your own. If you visit the Castillo, please share your encounters there. You can reach us on our Facebook page within the Miz Podcast, and we are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email within the Ms. Podcast at gmail.com. This is for any of you who would like to share we love stories and hearing about your own personal encounters for those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts we also have a tiktok channel which gives a few minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits we hope you enjoyed our stories about the ghost of the castillo de san marcos and we will come again for another episode until then Remain constantly curious. Awesome. See y'all later. Goodbye, everyone.